On this week's Devils in the Details, we'll explain some reasons why we think United are playing worse of late than they were a few months ago, and why even when they play well, they struggle to close out matches and dominate scorelines. We'll look at some of the latest transfer news and provide our thoughts on the situation. And finally, we'll look at some of our favorite United players from years gone by, past players who can improve current United teams, and past disappointments we think would do much better in the present. Case, we're back. And hopefully we're here to stay. First of all, I hear you finished university, and I feel like that's due a big congratulations. So, yeah, congrats, Case. Yes, I did. Thank you. Thank you. It uh, it feels pretty good. Um, it's, a, it's a satisfying feeling. It's a long time coming. It took me way longer than I intended, it, intended for it to. Um, but yeah, we're done. So thank you. Uh, I'm excited to be back here talking with you, so let's get to it. It's going to be great, and I'm excited to see what you do next now that you have all that free time. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it's not too free for too long. (laughs) Um, All right, secondly, I think think we've got to explain our absence a little bit here. Um, The first thing you might notice is that Case sounds amazing in this episode. Um, We've been sorting out some equipment, working on a bit of podcast renovation. We got a little bit of a new sound, so... We're hoping you enjoy that, and it's here to stay, so yeah, um, something we've been working on and we're hoping to have as a consistent element of the podcast is having production to match the amount of research we actually put into creating this for you guys. So hope you appreciate it, hope you enjoy, and yeah, for those of you who are audiophiles like me and listen on uh, and listen on good headsets, like I really hope this is valuable for you guys. With that said, now I feel like we should get into it. We've missed a lot of football during our absence, but I think many of the themes have been the same as the last few months. Stuff we've talked about depending on the opposition, um, how this United team has shaped up to play against different types of opposition tactics this season. Because we've covered a lot of this stuff, I was going into planning this episode feeling like it would be a little bit difficult to know a, what we wanted, what you guys wanted us to talk about, and B, what we thought was important to get across. I feel like a lot of the stuff we got through um, early in the season. Um, so instead, what I did was I put out a Q&A ask, and you guys asked some great questions. So we're going to use those to shape the flow of this episode, and um, and I think they give a good overview of the season, and then a look into next season in the second half. So let's start with the basics here. This is a question from, I'm going to say, Kenne. Kenne, you can feel free to correct me on that pronunciation. Um, How much of our drop in form the last few games would you put down to coaching? And how much would you put down to general player quality? Um, So I'll add a little bit to this. Obviously, I think it's pretty clear United haven't been as good in the last few weeks and months as they were in the sort of post-World Cup period. Um, How much of that do you think is due to players like Rashford, Lissandro, and others having sort of intermittent absences um and also how much do you think is due to actual decisions that ten Hag is making on a weekly basis this is a an interesting question i don't think the drop in form has a lot to do with anything new in terms of tactics i don't think we've done anything 
tactically divergent uh, from what we've been doing in the past, drastically at least. Um, I think the execution levels are probably the main thing you can point to as to why we've been so much worse than we were earlier in the season. However, I do think you can point the finger, and and if you've been listening to this podcast, and I'm sure you've already gotten this impression, uh, I do think you can go, you can point the finger at long-term tra- tactical trends and say those are responsible for United just just not getting better. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to regress, but I think you could also say, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. It's it's one thing not to get better. And that's a concern on its own, but the regression is is, a, is another thing entirely. Yeah, I I think we started the season on a kind of like it, if I were to look at the season of United's from the perspective of the tactical themes, I think the big sort of philosophical debate that was being had at the start of the season is to what extent do you compromise on an idealistic view of how you want a team to play to win matches based on the personnel you have available. And I think the answer that we've learned is that Ten Hag has been much more willing to compromise than we initially thought he might be um, in order to get this team to play at the highest level it can this season. Um, And I think maybe some of the things that made United so effective in that earlier run are now kind of things that are mitigating progress a little bit. But I also question whether it has to do with where he thinks the personnel is at, at a footballing level, um, and whether they're able to execute on some of the more maybe complex elements of the press that we've been talking about, um, things like the fullbacks pushing, um, which in theory could be seen as taking an extra risk, um, or even things like playing out of the back. Like I think many of the big defeats this season have come from calamity just playing out of the back. And I'm not Definitely. sure that anything has changed in the personnel that would make them more able to play out of the back now than before if anything i would say the typical sides that he's been putting on the pitch are worse um and definitely there's no doubt about that yeah and and one point of contention that i would have is that and like i said this today as well sometimes when we talk about the technical deficit that united have compared to other top teams um it comes as a result of not having the players available so ten Hag has to work with what he has But also sometimes recently, I increasingly feel like he has some players who are more technical than the ones he actually chooses to play. Um, And that is worrying to me. Um, So the example I gave today was Dalo and Malasia not starting. Um, I know Malasia isn't Shaw at left back. We talked about that. I'm not sure if we talked about that on air. Not having these players on the pitch, like really hurts United's ability to play out of a press. And I think that showed in the early stages of this match and why it was so like back and forth for the first, probably the better part of the first half before United kind of got control of it. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you. Uh, I think I said something to that effect on Twitter about how it's astonishing how many key players at United have massive basic technical faults um, or at the very least don't elevate the side with their technicality. I don't think technicality is the be all end all. I don't think it's necessarily always the most important thing, but I, I don't think you can get away with having like five or six players in your team who cannot receive the ball and turn with it and pass it the ball 
with multiple angles. Uh, it just doesn't work. City have 20 of these players. Arsenal have a dozen. United have like five or six, which like, I don't know. That that discrepancy doesn't seem sustainable to me. Um, and I think you see that play out. Sort of, It's sort of adjacent to what you were saying. Um, as for Shaw playing at left back today over Malasia, I think that actually wound up panning out and paying off. Not to say that I don't agree with you that um, Malasia is sort of one of those players who does have the technicality where he can receive the ball under pressure, turn. Just kind of, It seems really basic, and it's not spectacular, and it's not going to single-handedly win you matches. Um, but it does keep you from losing matches. And obviously, United didn't lose today, but I, don't, I, I wouldn't say that there was a massive sense of control, especially early on, which is odd when you look at the shot deficit, right? Like, it doesn't line up with the storyline of the match. Yeah. Um, we've kind of thrown this idea a few times of an overall technical deficit that exists between United and some of the other top teams. I said it a couple of minutes ago. You implied it a couple of seconds ago. Um, and Johnny had a question. He straight up asked, which players does Case believe are not technically good enough and do any well-rumored transfer targets upgrade on those aspects? And while I think we've sort of danced around these topics throughout the season, I feel like it might be easy to just have like a quick fire. Let's go through the squad. I'll say the name of a player and you say what you think in like five words. Uh, based purely we'll on see if I can quality. accomplish five words. But okay. <laughs> okay, we'll start I, I, De Gea, right? I think this is the most obvious one. So, yeah, De Gea is bad with his feet. It's not like this isn't one where I even have to caveat it. De Gea is very bad with the ball relative to relative to Premier League goalkeepers. So, yeah, that's, that's a good base. Not like it's not like yeah, it's not like there's a redeeming quality here, which in a lot of other cases it, there there are. Uh, you you can point out individual passes that he's made this season that looked good. He's overall been a big net negative with the ball. There's no denying that. All right, and similarly, um, same thing, but Wambasaka. Yeah, I mean, Wambasaka has. Odd. I'm going to start with strengths because I find it's actually easier to, to point out weaknesses when you start with strengths. He has like an oddly high level of evasive dribbling ability, but it's hyper erratic. His touch is bad. Uh, his passing technique is some of the worst I've seen at United ever. Um, it's improved slightly this season, but still it's not where you need it to be. He, he can't be... A part, he can't play in central areas as part of a, a pass and move uh, footballing side. That's a problem. Like, and and there's no um, there's this is something I think that sort of ties into all the conversations we have about Wamasaka, where people start talking about how he's been playing better. And yeah, there's some truth to it. He's he's been better this season than he's ever been in a United kit. However, there's no level to which he can execute the you know the the duels and you know, not get in the way in possession that will make up for the fact that he's still not good enough in possession. Um, as, as long as, as long as United can't build down the right side with him as a, you know, a key distribution hub, he's making the team worse. And, and he's, you know, a reason why United can be more easily pressed. It's He's a reason why United don't dominate matches. 
it's it is that simple. Like I I, I realize it sounds like a reduction, and it sounds it's like oh when are you going to give this guy credit? I'm basically telling you that unless he magically turns into a different kind of footballer, I am not going to give him credit at some point. Um, like it is that simple. Yeah, and I think I kind of implied that the opposite is the case for Dalo and Malasia. Perhaps who aren't like super um, high-end players at Premier League level, not to the same extent as someone like Lou Shaw, but players who have a little bit more of the traits that specifically we think this side needs in order to be able to play this type of possession system playing out of the back. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of different things that go into technicality, right? I think there are a lot of players where I would point to them and I would say, and I'm saying this in, in the abstract, not necessarily United. There are a lot of footballers who I would point at and say they have technical flaws, oddly large technical flaws. Uh, but then you could also point at them and say, oh, but they're an incredible long distance passer. How can you say they're poor technically? Clearly that's not true. Look at how they strike the ball. It's a fair critique, but I would say generally when when we talk about technical floor, what we're really discussing is your ability to receive the ball from a bunch of different angles, turn with the ball using, you know, both feet, and then pass the ball. Simple passes. Just just be a link. That's what we're really discussing when we talk about technical floor. Controlling the ball, moving the ball. It's it's That's really it. General think, ball circulation, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Like, not giving up okay. possession for no reason. Being able to link intricate, but you know, simple passing moves. I guess intricate and simple maybe is contradictory, but, you know, maybe you have to receive the ball in tight areas and release it quickly, but ultimately you're not hitting a Hollywood pass. So we're not asking like a crazy amount from these players. Like these are just things that top line footballers can do. All right. I'm I'm just, I'm just going to keep going through the list. I yeah, think, I think we're getting we've kind in- of given enough context, but so yeah, Dalo, Malasia, Shaw, fine. I think Lasagna. I think Malasia like fine. is an interesting one, right? Because his passing's been kind of erratic this season. Like he, there, there are moments where I would say like he, 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 his technicality has been inconsistent. But in general, I think he's super press resistant, which sort of feeds into what you were saying about like ultimately where is this most relevant when it comes to United and how they can get better. It's having press-resistant players. And I think Molossi is objectively very press-resistant. So, okay. Yeah. I think the I think a lot of opinion is divided about the center backs, um, specifically Lindelof, Maguire, Varane. Um, I think my view is that Lindelof is the most secure of these three, but none of them are particularly good at actually releasing the ball or, or making essentially above normal actions on the ball like things like carrying or passing forward yeah yeah this is a weird one uh for a few reasons i'll start with Veron because i think he's actually the easiest one to discuss Veron is a great defender he is not good on the ball uh he's awkward he i mean today he failed to execute some really simple passes um that cost united possession He's a, he's a great example of of a player who is hyper effective, yet is, he does not reach the, the the desired technical floor. Like you would not see a player of Veron's technicality playing for City. And again, we don't have to be City, right? Like I'm not saying you have to bench Veron 
but you can't have five Varons. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. It's not like he even covers it up with like flashy passes or anything. He's just limited with the ball. Um, yep. 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 As for Maguire, I think Maguire used to be a much better footballer than he is now. The footballer he is today is insanely pressable. Like so a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. You can, he, he isn't comfortable receiving the ball at a lot of different angles. He isn't comfortable releasing the ball at different angles. He, he sort of has like a weird rhythm to his game where he has to have the ball in the right spot to release it relative to his body. These are, those are exactly the issues we're talking about. And then the lack of agility makes it even worse because, you know, he can't really evade anybody on the ball. Um, yep. Yeah. Maguire is like, eh, no below the floor. Um, as for Lindelof, I think Lindelof is kind of fine. He's sort of like, I wouldn't want him to play in midfield, but for a center back, he's press resistant enough. I don't think he makes bad, like uh, messes up possession sequences, um, failing to make simple passes. I think he, he can use both feet relatively well. Um, I'm not enthused by him. I don't think... I don't think he'd even be in City's squad, but, and again, I'm, I'm using City as a benchmark because they're good and not because we need to play like City, though I do think to a certain extent we do. Yeah, that's what I have to say about Lindelof. You agree with all that? Or? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. He's not bad. He's just not good. Yeah. Like, he's fine at this level. Um, yeah, I think my bigger concerns with him are, are, are have generally been out of possession, but, but this year we've been better structurally, so it, it hasn't mattered as much. I don't think he's gotten exposed the way he has in, in previous seasons. Um, I've got no problem with, with Lindelof. Uh, yeah, All right. I think that does it on the center backs. Um, I'm not going to go to McTominay because Ten Hag doesn't even really play him when Casemiro is fit. Casemiro is... Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but really briefly here. Yeah, I mean, Casemiro's... This is a great example of a player where if I were to tell you I don't think they're tech very good technically, you'd be like you're insane because Casemiro has done a ton of incredibly technical things while he's been at United, while he was at Real Madrid. He's an incredible distance passer. He's an incredible ball striker. Um, I would say he's a pretty consistent short distance passer uh, when he's facing the opposition goal. But then again, he. he can't really turn on the ball, um, can't turn under pressure, isn't great turning when he's not under pressure, he sort of lacks agility in possession, which is sort of a weird thing to say because I don't think he's necessarily, you know, a, a, a freight train uh, out of possession. He obviously is, can, you know, perfectly uh, competent in duels, but I think when he's on the ball, he's a little, I'm not sure what the word would be, but... Uh, I almost want to yeah, say struggles- erratic. But yeah, but erratic implies to me that sometimes he is good at evading pressure. And I, I don't think he's, I think he's very pressable. I think he's very yeah. pressable. Um, yeah. he, he's got a higher technical level in general than somebody like McTominay. Uh, so I think sometimes like he can just pass his way out of instances where he, he like, otherwise a more consistent way to get out of it would be to carry out of those situations, whereas McTominay would just, you know, fail the, to make the pass even or dribble into a corner. But yeah, I, I mean, he's erratic in a different way, which is like, sometimes I think his passing is bad, whereas usually it's good. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really want to spend too much time on Casimir and Bruno, but basically I think they're the types of players who you say you are in general they can they can carry the side on the ball, but they're they can also be in long possession sequences the types of players whose mistakes you kind of um work around because they're they are that good, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're weird examples here because they're, two, you know, two of United's three best players. I don't really care how you order them, but certainly they're two, two of the top three. Um, however, I think if you drop them into City or even Real Madrid, um, they would easily be amongst, if not the worst players in terms of their ability to do this thing that we're describing, which is receiving the ball, turning on the ball, executing simple passes, over and over and over again consistently. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I think that's good. Yeah. Um, so that covers uh, both of them. I don't really want to cover Savitzer because I don't think he's going to stay. Um, and I think he's relatively fine. Um, Fred? Yeah. Fred Fred is insanely erratic with this, right? Like, yeah. There's moments where, I mean, he's, he absolutely cannot turn consistently on the ball. But, I mean, he has days where he he's perfectly fine technically, and he has days where he's he looks like an amateur footballer. I I don't think Fred will be playing major minutes the next time United win a league title. So he's I don't not think playing it's... major minutes right now. Um, yeah. Okay, I don't think this is particularly important for the forwards. So I think I think we're good there. But I, I I think we want to tie all of that back into the original point, which is when so many of your players have these like little deficiencies at doing the basics. It has a big overall effect on the team's ability to do the basics. And so when we talk about the team having um, tactical inconsistencies like inability to play out of the back, inability to circulate possession, inability to control games, a lot of those things are things that happen on a team-wide level. And so even though these one-off players in isolation might not be a problem, the aggregate effect of having this many and the aggregate effect of them all having different weaknesses that need to be facilitated is a team that is not that good because the opposition can target them and make it difficult. Um, and so for what it's it's worth, I do think it's relevant to the forwards. I just think it's differently relevant in that it doesn't matter so much when you're playing out of a press so much as it matters in terms of just being efficient in the final third. Like, I think this, this thing is just a huge aspect of what makes a good forward as opposed to, there are plenty of, I'm not about plenty, but there are, are, are a number of good midfielders and defenders who aren't necessarily great, uh, technically. I don't think there are, and again, when I'm saying technically in this context, we're talking about that specific kind of technicality that we defined earlier. Um, I think there are fewer, I don't think there are any elite forwards really who aren't elite technically, because what technically means in this situation is just like taking your chances. When you get the ball, do you create chances? Do you get shots off cleanly? Like, Like that's ultimately how it plays out in the final third, right? Like, whereas if like a fullback gets the ball, the simple pass doesn't really, isn't like the, the key to their, their contribution, right? Like the, but if, if you, if you get the ball in the box and you make, you turn and you make the simple pass, it's a goal. So it's a different thing. Yeah. I also, I think in general, and maybe you disagree with this, but I think United's forwards tend to have problems in other areas, not really this. Um, like if I look at the forwards who consistently play for the first team, Anthony, Sancho, Rashford, Martial, they don't, they aren't really 
this isn't really their problem. They have other issues, but it's not really. Theirs. I agree. I agree. Um, and so just as a whole, like when you're competing against a team that has 20 players who can do this, when you're competing against a team that has 15 players who can do this, they're going to be able to execute. And, and actually I'll also add when you're competing against teams that do a lot of the same things and try to do a lot of the same mm-hmm. things that you do, United are not entirely the same as teams like city and Arsenal, but there are a lot of similarities. Um, there are a lot of fundamental similarities between their styles of play. When you're competing against teams that just have players who can execute those basic elements easy, more easily, it makes it easier for a coach to implement a style. And I would even go as far as to say, even if those players are worse. So I think Casemiro and Bruno are better than many of Arsenal's players, but I don't think they make it easier than some of those Arsenal players might make it for a coach like Arteta to implement a style um, or implement elements of in-possession play that require the players to be super flexible and able to receive and release and carry at different angles. Um, And I think that's a really underrated aspect of why people look at United's team on paper and go, this is a really strong team. Why is the coach not able to get the best out of them? And also why people look at teams like Deserbys Brighton and go, this is not a very strong team. Why are they so good when they take to the pitch? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I look at United's team on paper and I I don't see a very good team. <laughs> Maybe, like, I see a good team. I see a team that should probably finish third or fourth in the Premier League. And look, yeah. that's where, like United are finishing third or fourth so, in the Premier League almost. Hold on. Time. So I agree with that assessment. I just don't think United have been playing like a top four team. No. Recently. True. Um. I'm not saying people are yeah. looking at United's team and claiming, oh, this is as good as Arsenal and City. Right. But right, I do right, think right. United are looking at, uh, I do think fans are looking at this United team and saying, if this team, if this 11 can't finish top four, then we have to ask some serious questions when, I mean, I do think you have to ask some serious questions if United throw top four from this position. But I don't think those questions are related to United's ability in possession um, or United's ability to play out of the back or United's ability to do a lot of the tactically basic things that they have been failing to do in recent weeks. Um, there are some things that I think Ten Hag might be responsible for, but not the fundamental stuff that I think this team is bad at. I think those things this team has been bad at for many, many years, and they go beyond any coach. Yeah, I broadly agree. To 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 go back a little bit to what you were talking about with, if you're going up against another another side, like for instance City or Arsenal, and you play largely the same way they do, and they have more players who can do these simple things than you can. I'm going to, for those of you who have been listening for a while, I'm going to call back to a very mathy example that I, or explanation that I had like maybe a month or two ago, where I said, imagine the 11 players on a football pitch like they're a network, right? And each player is a, you know, a point in the network. Um, let's, like, let's say you're City. Let's say City, every player has a 90% chance, and they're making this number up, 90% chance of receiving the ball, turning, making the simple pass, and continuing the possession in a productive way. Um, you know, the way probability works, like, for those of you, I'm sure most of you know this, but I'm just going to make dumb this down as much as possible to make it as simple as possible. You multiply all those probabilities together, you wind up with a possession and a likelihood of a goal. 0.9 times 0.9 times 0.9 times 0.9 
you wind up with 0.9 to the whatever, however long your possession is. Let's say United play the exact same way, except half of their players aren't 0.9, they're 0.7s. Because you're multiplying all these probabilities together, it has a huge compounding effect. And obviously, that's a super mathematical example, and football is more complicated than that. But it does give you an idea of how these small differences can have massive compounding effects. Yeah, Um, and also, like, in your example, if you're 20% worse every time you touch the ball, and you touch the ball 50 times a game, that's a massive difference. These deltas don't play out in you know, little moments in a match where a player fails a pass and we go, oh, see, a better player makes this team yeah. better because they would have completed that one pass. It shows up in everything across the board in massive aggregate tallies. Um, yeah, and so that, all of these my, players my, make a small difference to that aggregate. My mistake actually was even making the difference that large. Really what it is is City have a bunch of 90% and United have a couple of 80%. And... Like, that's that's seemingly small, right? Those both sound like good players to me. Like, a player who gets the ball to his teammate 80% of the time versus 90% of the time. But like you said, matches are long. And these differences, not only do they compound within a single possession, they accumulate over the course of an entire match and an entire season and create huge deltas between the quality of the teams. Um, Yeah, so... uh, and, And obviously, again... Every possession is not a series of simple actions. Sometimes you have a Hollywood pass. Sometimes you have, you know, a, sh- a strike from 30 yards out. The The difficult things matter as much as the simple things. No doubt about it. Yeah. But I think this is a good way to understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, let's talk about something else before we kind of wrap up the recent matches section of this. Um Less about winning games and more about closing out games to make sure you win. Um, this one comes from Mikey O'Sullivan. He asks, is it simply poor decision-making from our forwards? Today's game should have been sewn up long before Garnacho's goal. And firstly, I agree with Mikey. Um, it should have been sewn up long before Garnacho's goal. Um, secondly, Garnacho's goal was amazing. I was on my feet in my home <laughs> applauding. Um But thirdly, and most importantly, we've talked a lot about how not having a striker has had a compound effect on, you know, United's low goal difference, their inability to turn these small advantages into big advantages, um, just the general amount of goals that are being distributed across this team. There were situations I cited where both Martial could have moved into a goal-scoring position, or he could have moved to create an opening for someone else to be fed in a goal-scoring position, all in today's match. Um... But also, I think in this match, United had a lot of chances, and it really actually just was the shooting wasn't on point. And that is something that I expect to get better, even if United don't make any changes. Um, I don't think matches like today, even with the current squad quality, necessarily have to end 2-0. I think players like Anthony will score more in those same positions. I think players like... um, who else is Sancho missed a chance. There's a chance that goes in. Um, that that's not a that's not a team specific issue. That's just a frustration of the day that I think is independent to today. Yeah, I agree. I, I listen. I, I'm I'm always down to get on United's forwards' backs for their decision making because I think it's often very very poor. Uh, aside from one instance today where I thought Anthony should have passed to Martial, I thought the decision-making was fine, and I agree the big difference was shot execution. 
And I don't even think the shot execution was terrible. It's just sometimes you're going to be 10 inches within the post and sometimes you're going to be 10 inches wide of the post. And I don't like to break down shooting outcomes match to match. And I know you don't either. So, um, yeah, I think I think for me that was the big difference. I I thought the performance today was fine. Um, I, I'm 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 much less concerned with like anything that happened in this Wolves match and more. I'm gonna be honest. You can probably hear it in my voice. I've been pretty down about United the last two weeks, more because of long term trends than anything else. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the long term trends behind why this United team are not like battering teams or i think we spent the last half hour talking about why united don't beat teams um why they struggle to win matches why they struggle to look good throughout matches um let's talk about matches where united look pretty good or okay for the most part but the scoreline is one nil going into the last five minutes what's the problem there and i know okay okay let me let me how does a striker fix the problem and i think we've talked about this before but just really quickly touch upon it for new listeners or you know this is something we've been talking about more in december and january than now so you know why how does signing victor aseman or you know harry kane even though we i think we'll talk later about how we don't really want harry kane but how does signing one of those players fix this issue yeah so again this all comes down to you know an over it doesn't actually all come down to this but another way that we can apply our silly little mathematical model to uh, understanding this is it's all about success rates in the final third, right? Um, let's say United let let's say United now, and I'm making these numbers up again. These are totally made up. Get the ball into the final third twenty times a match, and let's say with their current forwards, um, I don't know, fifty percent of those. Uh, end in uh, high quality shots. If you get, uh, you know, a, a striker who's significantly better uh, than Martial, uh, then yeah, than Martial, which I don't think is hard, um, you can massively, you can get that number from 10 successful, uh, you know, large, big chances in a match or, or good shots in a match to 12 or 13 or 14. And, Generally, that, that's going to, you know, result in more goals and you're going to be way, way less likely to be, you know, biting your nails at the end of these matches. You'll be in more more control as a result of game state as opposed to even necessarily controlling the match better. United could be exactly as good out of possession, be exactly as good in buildup and simply be more efficient in the final third and score more goals. Um, and, and this I is really kind of a hard think- thing. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, and this is a rare case where I really do think it is not that complicated to swap Martial slash Ronaldo slash Weghorst for another striker and get a lot more goals. Um, I agree. Because good movement from strikers facilitates good creation from players. It's a two, it's a, there's a passer and there's a receiver. Um, Having forwards who can create 0.6, 0.7 expected goals worth every 90 minutes they play versus players who are at 0.3, 0.4, is actually a goal every three games, like if you do, if you do the math. Um, and yeah. I do think United can take advantage of that entire difference, or close. Um, Martial, Ronaldo, and Weghorst have a combined five goals this season, or today Martial scored one more. 
So I think it's six, and one of them is a penalty. That's terrible for a striker. Like, I think more than two-thirds of the teams in the Premier League probably have a single striker with more than six goals. Um, yeah. They've, at least one of them, has been on the pitch for probably 75 to 80% of United's minutes. If you replace that with one striker who is just better at getting shots off, you're going to create a whole lot more goals. Um, and, I'll, and I'll add one more thing, right? I think United and Newcastle have kind of paralleled for a lot of the season. There's a lot of things that have been kind of up and down between the two teams. After 35 games, both teams have 66 points. Um, I think they do a lot of similar things um, in many ways. Um, I think they're also in some ways at similar tactical points in their personnel development where they've kind of had an influx of really good players in the last year or so, but are still kind of holding on to some players who are technically not quite there from years before. It manifests in different forms, but I think there are a lot of parallels you can draw between these two sides. And Newcastle's goal difference this season is 32, and United's goal difference this season is 10. Um, And I really think that looks like a massive delta that people have been talking about all year. Uh, But I think if you break it down, it's 22 goals. It comes down to the Brentford, City, and Liverpool games are a 14-goal difference against United. And then I said it's 22 goals. So a striker is another eight goals to United. Even even like a decent striker who's going to score 14 to 16 non-penalty goals in a season... That's the entire goal difference between United and Newcastle. Nothing about coaching, nothing about out of possession, nothing about in possession. It yeah. really is just having a striker and not getting absolutely battered. I, I, I would add on a few things to what you're saying. Uh, first of all, I think the the I think that today United created lots of chances. I think Martial wasn't great, but he wasn't awful. Um you can visibly, if you go watch that match back, you can see how bad Martial's movement is pretty easily. Just like watch the spaces he picks up. He completely vacates the the middle third of the pitch. Uh, and I don't mean the midfield. I mean like the vertically goal to goal, end to end, um, by uh, touchline to touchline. The width of the boxes. No, even narrower than that. But yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that might sound like an oversimplification, like, oh, he's coming over to combine. But yeah, and there are benefits to that. But ultimately, uh, especially if you don't have box, like secondary box threats, like players who can impose themselves physically uh, in the box who aren't your striker, you need your striker to be in the middle because you need somebody to hit the shot that, you know, goes at, like, ultimately for all the, the combination play that you could hope to do, and all of the intricate, you know, build up you could you could you could hope for all of the cross like the beautiful crossing you could hope to do. You have to have somebody. This, this sounds so. This doesn't sound analytical at all, right? This sounds like so reductive. But you have to have somebody who shoots. You have to have somebody between the width of the posts, close to goal, who's getting these big chances. And if your striker is never between the width of the posts, in in you know near the penalty spot, you're you're never going to score goals. Like it, it is that simple, and you know, there's there are a lot of merits to aiding and build up, being technically sound at striker, but ultimately, I I think it's you cannot compromise on this one thing, which is 
having a guy who you somebody has to get big chances, and the only way to get big chances is to be in those areas. And if there's no one in those areas, United will not score goals. That's yeah. the end of my rant. I'll add one more thing, and I'd say I increasingly believe that you know having a traditional number nine who plays the role of that goal scorer is important for most sides in football. There are like very, very, very rare exceptions. But I will add that United are especially not an exception to that. A lot of people seem to think that United need a, and I'm holding up quotes here because I don't particularly like the term, but a false nine who can facilitate the other strong goal scorers in this team. There aren't other strong goal scorers in this team. Rashford is at best a 15 goals a season Premier League player. I know he might have more than 15 this year with games to play, but that's because he's over his XG. Like those seasons are not going to be the norm from Rashford, nor should they be expected to be. Your wingers don't typically score 20 goals in the Premier League. United are and are especially a case of that. The the goals in this team are going to have to come from somewhere. United have signed a right winger for a huge sum of money. Their best two attackers are their left winger and their attacking midfielder. That leaves the striker to score the goals. It's it, it I cannot like that is the priority. It's uh, yeah, it it sounds so non-analytical. It sounds like two guys down like down at the pub being like, "Oh, you need to buy a screen to buy goals. We need goals." But that <laughs> that actually is the reality of it in this instance. United lack players who are capable of being efficient, be, being A, available, and B, efficient in the box. Um, and those are the players who are who score goals in the Premier League. And yeah, it is that simple. I'll add one more thing to this conversation. You mentioned that this is not, like, we're not, we haven't even talked about out-of-possession stuff here. If United were to get a new striker, and that striker was even league average out-of-possession... That would be a huge boon to United's out-of-possession play because United's like production from their striker out-of-possession has been awful this season as well. Yeah, Martial's pretty poor. Rashford's worse than Martial, and Ronaldo was worse than Rashford. So Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> actually, it's the one It's one of the things Whitehorse is pretty good at, but that's, that's irrelevant. Um, I, I don't even... I have to say, I, I think the fact that he's so incapable of covering ground... Quickly, not not he covers ground, but he's so slow. I think means he's actually kind of easy to play around, even though he does take up good ang- angles. Like yeah, there I is mean, a th- floor for how slow you can be. I think he's good, not great, but anyway, it, it's not important. Um, yeah, in a in a sea of like difficult problems to quantify from a footballing standpoint, I really think this is one of the easier ones. In that United need a striker who can bring more goals relative to what the team is capable of creating. And that's it. Like that's, that is the number one goal here. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about, we're going to take a break now and we'll talk a little bit more about who those players might be in the second half, as well as other areas to improve the team, this overall technical deficit, some interesting questions around the league and maybe even some stuff from the past and stuff that's not about football at all. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back. 
we're going to start with some transfer talk. I guess we'll call this future details. Um, we got a lot of questions about transfers. I think some of them are really good. We'll start with Kenshi, who asked, what's the take on Ericsson's future? Is he capable of playing another two years in the Premier League? Can he still be counted to impact games against top six sides? And if the answer is no, who are the ideal replacement candidates? I like this question because we haven't talked about Ericsson in a while. He has been injured, he's returned relatively recently, and I don't think he's returned super ceremoniously. I think he's struggled a fair bit. Um, throughout the season, we've talked about how Ericsson is not a zero, but like he's not really involved out of possession for United. Um, especially in the latter half of games, we've talked about how Ericsson struggles to get through, at least seemingly. He seems to noticeably um, wane in his ability to cover ground after an hour. Um, and even in the first hour, he's not exactly uh, a top athlete. Um, Erickson is also in his 30s. We know he's had a long career. I I think to say United would be planning a future without Erickson would be harsh. I think he's still going to be around. But I don't think he should be the primary option in this position uh, for the duration of his contract at United, which lasts another two years, as Kenshi implied. Yeah, so I think... As for the whether he can play in the Premier League for two more years, uh, if he starts off next season looking as tired and as you know inept out of possession as he does right now, I would say no. However, two things. It's the end of the season. Even with his injury, I think there's a lot of reason to believe that like fatigue is playing in here. Um, so I'm not going to make that assessment from a physical standpoint now. Um, for that reason, however, the club will have physical data. And so they'll have better answers to this than I will. So internally you could like, if we were working at the club, we could actually probably answer this question right now. Uh, so, uh, while I'm, while I'm going to pass on a, a definitive answer there, that's not me saying this is not an answerable question. It's just a question that I think is a lot easier to answer internally, which takes us to the actual question, which is replacing him. Uh, which is, I think, is a kind of a fun conversation. I think if you'd asked me this question four months ago, I'd have been like, I don't, I'm not sure there's a good a- option other than Frankie. Uh, I don't think that's true anymore. I think there's actually some, some, a lot of exciting options. Um, I think my answer is Romeo Lavia. I think he's sort of in that range where I think he can wind up being elite. I think he's already ready to contribute, not necessarily start every match, but contribute. I think he has that ball carrying dribbling ability that we've talked about all season that you're looking for. He's really young. I don't think he'll be too expensive. Yeah. For those who don't watch Southampton, who have had a miserable season and actually have just gotten relegated today. Apologies if anyone's a Southampton supporter listening. I think Romeo Lavia has made them watchable throughout the season, regardless of how the only reason I've watched their matches. (laughs) Yeah. So I think Lavia, the thing about Lavia that stands out to me is that he, a has the technicality, uh, the kind of technicality that we were talking about earlier on the podcast today, which is, you know, your ability to execute simple, simple things consistently over and over and over again. I also think he's quite physically robust for his age uh, and has a good engine and he's good out of possession in terms of his ability in duels. And those are all for me. Those are the keys for me. Uh, I think his passing range isn't excellent. Uh, I think his long distance passing isn't super consistent. But that's something I can see you him working on and, and getting better at. I think that's definitely something you can improve on, um, especially given how strong his technical foundations are otherwise. He's not a guy you're going to have to teach how to kick a football. 
uh, from scratch. Yeah, I think those are the key things for me. I, I think he definitely more than plays out of possession. I think some people probably even view him more as like a Casemiro type. Uh, I think those people probably are uh, ignoring how good he is in terms of his press resistance. Uh, like that's the Casemiro has probably everything on him except for that. But I think that is so big. Uh, and I think it kind of makes him fit next to Casemiro. Uh, yeah, uh, you've, you've seen him play as well. well. What do you think? you agree with that? Yeah, the most outstanding part of his skill set is that he's incredible in tight spaces. Like, he's yeah, really I good at it. getting out of tight spaces. And I think that is super impactful because what it does is it turns good team pressing from the opposition into bad team pressing. And that is because if you commit to getting a player to lose the ball at a certain point and they get out of it but not only get out of it but take you out of the game they're usually carrying into more disrupted spaces um or and less organized structured defenses than against teams who don't press you at all um i don't think lavia is the finished product on the ball i do think he is very strong i do i do think he has very high potential defensively and that makes him a bit of a unicorn in my opinion because i agree being able to carry out of a press and also being able to cover a lot of ground defensively is super rare. Um, we have talked a lot about players where we've had to choose between the two. Um, I don't think Frankie is like useless defensively, and I think he's absolutely generational carrying out of a press. But I do think he's a case of a player who like, I don't think Lavia has that ceiling on the ball, but I also think Lavia has a higher ceiling defensively than a player like Frankie. Definitely. Um, I think Frankie's good out of possession for what it's worth, but yeah. I, I I agree with the words you just said. <laughs> yeah, so I really like Lavia, and I was astounded when I found out he was born in 2004, by the yeah, way. That, that, that is... I don't need to hear that. Don't tell me that again. From now on, we're, <laughs> can we just not discuss the years of birth of players born this century? Yeah, can depending on how long this podcast is sounding, we're going to be like, ah, this new debutant is born in 2010. It's like, no. 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 Yeah, okay, Moises Caicedo. Yeah. What do you think oh, of Moises Caicedo? Love Caicedo. Caicedo's the other guy. Oh, I love Caicedo. I think he's too expensive, unfortunately, because Brighton aren't getting relegated. <laughs> but I'd love to have Caicedo. Uh, those are like two guys I'd love to have. I've said love like a million times now. I'm, it's, this word is starting to lose its meaning. I'm trying to think. I had two guys, other guys on my list. Let me Let me pull it up. I've got a giant lot- watch list for what it's worth. Uh, go on. No, go ahead. No, 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 you go. No, I was going to say, I've got a giant watch list for what it's worth, so I might keep adding names to this list as I go through the summer and have had more time to watch football. Um, but yeah, I, I think Caicedo and Lavia are the best options. I wouldn't actually be, depending on the fee, that mad about overpaying a little bit for Caicedo because I think he's the real I deal. I, I wouldn't mind overpaying even, for him at all. He's even better out of possession than Lavia. I think he's a yeah. Um, I think he's really good yeah. at possession. I think Lavia is better at the tight spaces thing, but Caicedo has more to his game in possession as a whole. He's just, he's he's a much more ready first team player. Like he yeah. he slots straight into United starting eleven. F- fun uh, fact: immediately uh, before this season, I said on this podcast and then had Aaron cut it out because I'm a coward that I thought if we purchase Caicedo, it would actually uh, win us more points than if we purchase Casemiro. Aaron, you can you can verify whether this actually happened or not. Um, it did. I I still don't know if it's true. I mean, I, I think guess if it's, you count. I think it's pretty close. If um, you if you count for the fact that Casemiro has been out for seven games, 
It might be. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't think that would be fair. Um, I, I think, think per ninety, Casemiro is worth more points to United than Caicedo this season. I agree. However, I think Caicedo might still be playing professional football in ten years. So yeah, okay, but like that's not that was not my initial point. I think it is very. I think Caicedo is like top three holding midfielders in the league, maybe top five if I'm if I'm being more conservative. And I think Casemiro is probably also in that that top five. Um, so, but I think that take would have sounded crazy at the start of the season, and it doesn't sound crazy anymore. And I'm quite proud of that, even though I didn't have the the wherewithal to to say it out loud earlier. So right, this is me so... flexing, having not said it at all. This is me flexing a take that I actually didn't say in public. Um, <laughs> yeah. So while you jump back off the fence you hopped back onto in August. Um, <laughs> some of the some of the other really highly touted names, I've seen links to Declan Rice. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, not at the price. I have no interest at the price that people are talking about it. But, I mean, he's a, he's a good player. I don't think he's as good as Caicedo is right now, personally. Um, he's a good player. I, I, I just... I, I, I don't get the fixation with him because I don't think he's elite uh, and I don't think he has a very high ceiling anymore. Like, I think he is what he is and I think he's really expensive. So, I mean, those are my thoughts. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think you put it well. Rice is absolutely elite defensively. Like, there's no question about it. But he is he has clear limitations in his game and possession. Um, in particular, I don't think he's very good at turning on the ball um, and I don't think he's a very active um passer through the lines like i don't think he likes making risky passes through the lines even if sometimes he has the technical ability to complete them um and i think those things make him um a very good player instead of one of the best most impactful midfielders in the world and i think if you're going to spend north of 80 90 million you're banking on that player becoming one of the best in the world um which i don't think he is I also think there's a bit of a conflict there in that I don't think he's a particularly good partner for Casemiro. Um, I think the time to sign Rice was for the fee United paid for Casemiro a year ago. And even then, I would have said, like, that's a pretty good signing. It's not, like, a amazing signing. It's- I think, yeah. I think Casemiro's, like, a good deal better than Rice's, and I wasn't happy with the amount of money we spent on Casemiro. Rice is obviously younger. I, I wouldn't have been happy with that fee for Rice, personally. I, I'd have been okay with it. I, I would have been okay. I, with I want it. United I to sign the best to... of the best, but I would have. I would have. I, I think Rice would have been good, and I think he will be good wherever, wherever he goes. Yeah, so. I agree with that. I think the big issue with Rice is what you just said about the the turning. Um, the whole thing, like Rice, is an excellent ball carrier when he's when he gets going. Um, I'm less bullish on his abilities. His ability in tight spaces. And that is the whole thing here, right? Like, we've been talking about this for a calendar year almost. The main thing with the midfielder that United buy this summer is they have to be able to receive the ball, turn under pressure, and carry out of pressure. And if they cannot do all of those things, it's a failure of a signing, honestly. Frankly, that's how I view it. Okay, any other names you got before we move out of midfield? Um, Andre uh, from Fluminense. I, I haven't... I've seen two full matches of him that I watched on Scout in the middle of the night a few <laughs> weeks ago, but there seems to be some noise around him. I think he's really talented. I think he can do 
that thing I was just describing about receiving, turning, dribbling out of pressure at a really high level. I think he's up there with the best in the world at it. Uh, I think there are question marks about around like from what I've seen. And again, it's very limited. I would, I would not draw conclusions about a player from two matches. I'm very strongly against that. But based on the limited viewing I have done, I think there might be question marks about the rest of his game. Um, yeah. What about you? Any, any others? Um, I've got, I've got Kakare on my list. I've, I've watched him a fair bit in past seasons, but want to watch more of him this season. Um, he's a little bit more like Fred, but he's much better on the ball. It's like a super rich man's Fred. And I mean that in, in the, in the nicest way possible. I think United would be imperious defensively with him and Casemiro in midfield, but I want to watch a little bit more of him on the ball. Um, I think also a lot of people tend to get statistically, um, encouraged by the possession numbers of players in the French league. And there's definitely something going on there where like every midfielder for like a decent team in the league is like flying in FB ref numbers. So um, I would, yeah, I would approach with caution when looking at those numbers, but I do think Kakare is very good. I just want to watch him a little bit more. There are some others on my list. Like I would always love Benasser. I think he's beginning to edge out of that age bracket, and yeah, he's still not really available that United should be looking at. Below that, there's a couple options that I think are like half decent, but not at the same level as the as the players we've talked about. So I think I'm good. Yeah, um, and also you you get the idea. Like I think if you can draw the the commonalities between the players we've mentioned um, and what we've said about them, you could probably project our views onto what you've seen of other players. Yeah. And, at that yeah. point, any differences in what you think of what we think are interpretations of our watching of the game, uh, yeah. as opposed to disagreement on what United actually need. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, basically, if you watch a midfielder and they are erratic or inconsistent or even just sub elite at receiving the ball, turning out of pressure, dribbling out of pressure, you can guess my viewpoint on whether they're a good fit for United this summer. Genuinely, like the like. Because, because you know, there's varying degrees to which you can do the rest of the things, and the rest of the things matter massively. But if you don't have that first thing, I'm really not that interested. Because um, you're not going to solve the problem. All right. Um, so we talked about how Southampton got relegated today uh, before spending 15 minutes on other midfielders. Um, and James Rolanti asked, other than Lavia, which he already knew we'd love Lavia, is there anyone who we should or could poach from potentially relegated sides? Um Nana Kofi Asiyama, please correct me if I'm wrong on that, asks, which players would you like us to sign from Southampton and other relegation candidates? Um, currently, the teams in the drop zone are Southampton, Leicester City, and Leeds United. And I have to say it looks pretty bleak for all of them, but Everton and Nottingham Forest could still get relegated, I would say. Let's keep it to the three that are actually in the relegation zone, I think. Yeah. Because I think yeah. the, the odds So anyone else from Southampton? Out. We'll start there. Yeah, um, Walker Peters, I'd be very. I really like Walk. I really yeah. like Walker Peters. Um, I at a cheap at a very low num value. If he was one of a few midfielders that came in, I wouldn't mind Ward Pros. I think I I don't think he's great, but I love the set piece taking, and I would not mind him playing like twenty nineties and having this. Yeah, this. I just think United need to get way better at set pieces. I think it's a really easy way to get better, and I think he could make a huge difference. Um. I I will agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> like I, I don't think I think he's better than Sabitzer is, um, and I think I, I think do he's not younger think too. He's better than Sabitzer, uh, and I think he, he is, is not younger. He's or he's like the same age roughly. He you think he's better in open play than Sabitzer? I do. Yeah. 
to see him go elsewhere. I don't think he's going to like make the difference. But he's like, twenty nine this year, FYI. Okay, Sabitzer is. Yeah, this is a this is a firm no for me. I do not think Sabitzer's twenty nine. So yeah, they're basically the same. I, I don't think he is good enough to be playing minutes for United, and I don't think he will play enough for his set piece ability to bear out meaningfully over the season. Um, so I don't know. I think I think no set piece. I think he's like probably the greatest set piece taker in the history of the sport. Maybe so. I, I think it would, but he's up there. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if we're signing set piece takers, I'll have Messi. But I, all fine. right, well, that's <laughs> talking about players oh, okay. we can get from relegation sides. Okay, so. Southampton. Um, um, yeah. Anyone else? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think there's anybody who I'm like. Oh, I gotta have him. What about you? Yeah, no one comes to mind. I've I've seen promise from Alcaraz in his early Premier League time, but it's too soon. There's also there's a couple others like I think Bazuna has been promising, but his shot stopping's not good enough to make the leap to starting for United yet. Um, yeah, Che Adams is kind of fun too, but like, I like Che Adams, but he he's playing a position that's super competitive. He's not a striker. He's like a second striker slash number ten. Um, he's not going to come in and play minutes for United there. And then Bella Kachup and Salisu have had decent seasons. Yeah, um, I like Salisu. One's right-footed, one's left-footed. Um, I wouldn't mind, but I, I, it would be fee-dependent. I wouldn't yeah. see either of them playing a ton of minutes for United next season. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Leicester. I think Leicester have some more interesting talent. Yeah. I think. I mean, Tielemans definitely is United quality. I don't think he's like United starting quality, but I take him. Um. He's on a free as well, regardless of whether yeah. Leicester stay up or not. Um, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. Leicester's probably one of the sides I've watched the least of this season. Um, they are, they are, insert adjectives that are mean. Um, Madison. I mean Madison. Like I, I just take wrong him. fit for United. Yeah, yeah. Like I take him. Just whatever. Uh, Daka. I I would actually that would be fun. I I would like Daka. Um, yeah. not like I think he's going to, you know, turn into a star, but I think he, he's good enough to turn into like United's second choice, uh, center, center forward. So I, I still don't think the sun has set on DACA bagging a ton of goals for a team that is decent. Yeah, he joined Leicester at the time they turned awful and his numbers at Salzburg were insane. A joke. They made Holland's numbers look bad. Yeah. I'm not saying he's better than Holland or anywhere near Holland. He's also nowhere near the all-round striker, but I do think there's still a possibility that in the right team he could bag a bunch of goals. I agree. So I'd be down for that. Yeah. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yep, agreed. And then at least cool. leads. There's not a lot there. They have they have a lot of mid-table players. Like, I don't think they should be in this position, but not a lot that United would sign. I love Luis Sinistera. Uh, that is more an emotional thing for me. I do think he's good enough to play for United, but not start. I guess Tyler Adams, maybe you think he's good enough to be like a bench piece. Uh, I used, Some to, of their young I used to love Bamford, but like, I'm not sure that Bamford's actually relevant anymore. Yeah, not, I mean, Nanto is, is quite good. I think he's probably their best player. Um, I would take Nanto. Yeah, I think Nanto, Aronson, Adams, not, none for United, and Mark Roca even. They all have. Oh, good I like Roca. Features, I forgot. About, and, and I also, yeah, I like Roca. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. Most of their starting eleven really should be staying in the Premier League, but they might get relegated. So we're definitely forgetting somebody. Okay, this isn't actually as dire a squad as as I had in my head, but yeah, not a lot of top six talent. 
people have talked about Melier. I actually, again, I think Melier will probably become a very good goalkeeper at some point, but he's he's not one now, and and he's way too much like De Gea to to be going for that. Uh, next question, Jay, as well as Kanan Murali and Simple Burner, all asked about Ahmad's future, both next season and going forward. Um, I'm in the middle of an Ahmad watch, and he is quite good, much to my uh, happiness, because I have gone into the championship to watch United loan players before and found <laughs> out that they're like slightly above average in the championship and everyone's raving about them. Ahmad is actually exceptional in the championship, and I might write about him um, when I've had the chance to watch more. Um, but he's just so clearly above the level of this division technically. Like, it's it's great. Um, there's a lot to say about Ahmad, but the long story short is he is contributing fewer goals in the championship on a on an expected basis than Anthony is in the Premier League. So and, and that's like I've taken the last ten matches because you can give him an adaptation period there, and the best of his season is close to what Anthony's doing in the in the Premier League in his debut season. So the odds of him replacing what I view as the third best player behind you in the three behind United striker um, are already pretty low. He's not going to replace Bruno um, and he's not a left winger. So he's not going to replace Rashford. So Ahmad's not going to come in and be a starter for United. However, United lack left-footed wingers. They lack people who are good at retaining the ball. Ahmad is an exceptional um, decision maker in attacking situations. He's really good at using his physicality. Um, He is, not an expansive passer, but a capable passer. Um, the main concern is that his dribbling kind of resembles Sancho in that he has a lot of skill and can deceive his man, but can't really create separation because he can't accelerate out of 1v1 situations and capitalize upon the mistakes that he forces from his marker. Um, I'll write about him with more practical examples, but basically I think his current level and profile could be useful for United next season, but he's not going to start for United and he's not going to start more than like 20 to 25 games as a squad player. So unless Ten Hag is looking to rotate the squad a lot, which I'm skeptical of, it might actually be better to just loan him out again. Um, I think the worst and the worst thing you can do here is to bring him back and not play him. Um, either you bring him back and play him, because I think he can be a little bit useful or you let him go on loan because the value he'll provide on loan is more than the value he'll provide in 10 appearances. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think the only concern with Ahmad at this point is not the only concern, but I think the the key concern with Ahmad at this point is whether he's just going to be another guy who looks tidy, but doesn't do anything like doesn't score or assist. Um, which, which I think is very possible. Which I think is very possible. Um, that said, I still like the player. Uh, I I, I want to. I just want to see him play in the United kit. So if it were up to me, I, I'd I'd be like, yeah, let's 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 keep him next year and and just see what he what he what he is. Um, but I agree with you. It, the prudent thing is probably to send him on loan. Um, yeah. Um, besides Ahmad, I don't think any of the academy or loan players are looking at major first team appearances next season but hugh evans asked who do you think from the academy or loans has the best technical level and therefore hopefully a chance to make it to the first team next year 
And besides Ahmad, my answer would be Kabi Mainu. Um, but I don't think he's going to end up playing a lot of minutes next year. Um, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, it's Mainu. <laughs> the, the answer okay. is Mainu. Yeah. Like, Mainu is younger than Lavia, who we just talked about. Yeah. Don't look up what year he was born in. Um, Not yeah. Allowed. So he has a lot of time. I think he's going to be pretty good. You never know with these players, but his current level is pretty good. I just think he's in such an important position and a position that has a lot of players already and one that I think United are going to need to and look to add more in. So I think it's unlikely he ends up playing a lot of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Cool. Um, left? Let's talk about defense. What would happen to Varane? Uh, sorry, this comes from Iona Trip. Correct me if I'm wrong on that again. Uh, what would happen to Varane if we sign Kim Min Jae from Napoli? And what role would he have in Eric Ten Hag's system? So I personally haven't watched a lot of Kim Min Jae. Um, but as a related question, SD asks, United has huge problems building out of the back. Would signing a guy like Kim Min Jae or Timber, um, plus having Dalo and another right back and Martinez, mitigate the need for a Frankie De Jong style deep line playmaker? I, I think I can answer that question pretty well. Um, so if you've watched Kim and Jay and you can say anything about him, I've heard he's pretty good. Um, Napoli's great, so I'm sure their star center back is probably pretty good. Yeah. I like Kim and Jay. I, I, I've seen him play probably six or seven times. I'm really doubtful that United are going to buy him. Uh, yeah, I would be astonished. Uh, so, like, why is that? Sorry? Why is that? I just don't think United are going to be in the market for like a top of the line right center back in the summer. Like I don't think it's going to be a priority. Gotcha. Yeah, that's fair. Um, if it is anyone, it'll be Timber. Um, just because I think that's how we've seen business has been done, and I think those links are stronger. Yeah, but Kim and Jay is excellent. I think he would bench Veron sooner or later. Not because I think Veron is bad, but because Kim and Jay can actually do the things we were talking about on the ball. Um, yeah. That simple as that. Uh, as for the second question, which I think's got kind of included Timber, uh, can you repeat the question again? Sorry. Yeah, United have huge problems building out of the back. Would signing a guy like Kim and Jay or Timber, as well as another right back to accommodate Dallo, uh, while having Lissandra Martinez? Basically, what this person is saying is you have a consistent back four of really strong players on the ball. Would that mitigate the need for having a Frankie style deep line playmaker? mitigate yes enough not even close you you need to have midfielders who can receive the ball turn on the ball dribble out of pressure it's like it's it's non-negotiable there are not good teams that don't have these players yeah that, that's how i view it uh, i i challenge you to and i don't mean this like combatively but i challenge anyone listening to find me a an excellent football team in the last three four years who hasn't had midfielders who can do that um, you yeah, can't challenge I mean, at the Premier League yeah. or the Continental level like without it. It's like saying a city has problems navigating people on transit from the west side to the east side. So we're going to make it easier for them to get from the outside of the city to the west side. Yeah, like, you're yeah. you're fixing you're 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 purchasing the ability to get the ball into midfield better, but you still need someone who's going to get it past midfield. So. I think it's unlikely this solves the problem. It does make it better because you're going to have more effective passing in the midfield. You're going to make it easier for the midfielders to receive. You're going to have fullbacks who can play midfield and receive from the center backs. 
But that's only situational. You're not going to solve most of the cases which are going to rely on midfielder who gets a ton of touches a game and gets United through a ton of build-up work. Yeah. Cool. Agreed. Okay, strikers. Are Kane and Oseman really the only strikers that United should get? Could we gamble on a Hoyland or a Gift Orben? We do have to solve three positions with an okay budget, even with new ownership. Um, this comes from Aditya Siddharth. Um, as well, Johan Luik asks, how do you solve a problem like Martial? Um, you sell him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, saw, I, I, I don't saw think that Martial question. should be playing in 10 yeah. minutes. Um, I am kind of laughing because I just read it out like... Um, the sound of music song you did which implies that like how do you solve a problem like martial solves the problem um which i think what Johan was referring to is how do you solve a problem like martial because of his lack of ability to move off the ball um as for kane and a seaman um we had a segment on an episode planned two weeks ago about at what price would you buy harry kane i think we both agreed that above 60 million there's no chance um at 60 million there's probably no chance it would have to be really reasonable because Kane's not going to be playing for United for a long time. Um, same deal that we said with Casemiro before. We're like, he's a great player, but he's the the amount of time for which he's going to be that player is a big question mark. Um, a seaman, we both agreed, is our number one want this player for United this summer. The quoted prices are in the region of 160 million euros now, which is absurd. Um, I think I agree with Aditya having some concerns with paying that much for a seaman. That seems unreasonable to me. So, the solution being, could we gamble on a cheaper striker? I can answer this first. I think United are going to need two strikers eventually as a result of the problems with Martial. And what that means is that United can take the approach of signing the second of those strikers instead of the star striker. But what that means is that I would like to see someone young. I would like to see someone really promising because you want the chance that the second one becomes the first one. Um, You always want to just sign the best players you can for the price that you're going to pay. And lastly, I don't want United to pay a huge price because they're going to need to bank some funds to pay for a really, really good striker when the time comes. Um, Anything you'd add to that? Less specifically about those players and more generally I am against and I think I've said this before I don't think United should be shopping in that sort of mid I don't want to spend 60 million on a striker who I'm not certain is elite I would much rather spend 100 million on a striker who I'm sure is elite not one who's 30 years old but if 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 uh, let's say United do you know pass up on a Simon and Kane which I think is a likely outcome a uh, also a relatively prudent uh, choice B. I think they should probably try to stay very cheap with the striker, find somebody who's more in like that 28 to 30 year old bracket to hold them over for a year or two until they find somebody who like, that guy's going to be the guy. He's going to be the best striker in the Premier League or close to it. Let's push all our chips in. That's our, that's our striker. Um, I, I, I'm, I, what, what makes me nervous, the, the, the strategy that I don't like pursuing is the, okay, we can't get our guy, but we have this wad of cash we were planning on spending. Let's just find the next best guy. 
who we can spend all this cash on. Like, I don't want that to happen. Uh, and to me, that's what this kind of shopping that you, that's being described here is. Um, I understand passing up on a sim at 160 million, and I definitely would not buy Kane for 100 million. Uh, however, I don't think the solution is to just go like one price bracket down. I would just push off the center forward problem for a year anyway, in the knowledge that we're not winning the title next season anyway. Yeah, I don't know if I'd pick the 28 to 30 striker over signing a really young striker in like a Julian Alvarez mode. Or, or, but like, or what's mold? the price point? I agree, but what's the price point? Because like sub sub 40 million, probably. Yeah, okay. Um, that's a different thing to me than like, I think Hoyland's going to cost you more than that. Yeah, I think Hoyland would. Um, but the idea is right. Like a, it's a risk, but a player with high potential who... I'd rather get somebody who like numbers. doesn't have a lot of senior football or at least in like a major European league doesn't have a lot of senior football and get that 28 to 30 year old. Like I'd like I'm just throwing yeah, names out there. Who do you have you in mind idea. for the 28 to 30 year old? Like I'm just throwing a name out is like Morata. Like I would not mind Morata being one of two center forward options for United. Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying like, Oh, you just ride with Morata like indefinitely, but I think, yeah, like, Maybe even like an ideal summer is getting someone like Evan Ferguson and getting Morata. And then you don't put the weight on Evan Ferguson to be your starting center forward, but he's a guy who can definitely be that. Um, and, and, you know, maybe Evan Ferguson isn't, isn't the right, uh, maybe that's not your guy, but like somebody who's got less than 1500 career minutes in a top five league is like, I think where you want to be shopping. Cause you don't want to be spending 80 million on, a sub elite talent like Vlahovic is like what frightens me. Like I have no interest in that deal. Um, for instance. Cool. Yeah. I pretty much agree. Um, if you are going to buy a Vlahovic and I mean, preferably not him specifically, cause it, I'm not, I'm not big on his talent, but if you're going to buy a, a player in that bracket of like good, but not elite, it has to be cheap. Like it, it yeah. can't be, it cannot be a lot of money. Um, all right. I think that's good. Um, last question on the transfers. G Nifton, any cheap or free players you would want United to sign this summer? Like, I assume players who are running into their last year, um, players who are running out. I don't have anybody immediately on my mind where I'm like, oh, I want that person free. Um, I think Kovacic's uh, contract expires next year. I would love to have Kovacic just from a footballing perspective. I think he's kind of like a kind of what United need. Uh, if you, if you, if they can't get somebody young uh, or maybe to sub, like if you, if you United get two center central midfielders, I think he'd be great as one of them uh, this summer. Yeah. So he's got 12 months left. T Lemons has 12 months left. Marcus Turam, I think would be pretty good. Turam. Yeah. I'd be happy with Turam. That'd be awesome. I mean, <laughs> Lionel Messi. <laughs> <laughs> you you had um, you texted me about Messi a couple of days ago. I I I'd think about it, but I mean, he's going to Barcelona. It's like almost done. I'm pretty sure. I mean, yeah, they they're gonna. We should buy. We you know what United here here. This is my United should buy whoever comes from the financial fallout associated with Messi going to Barcelona. <laughs> because they have some good attackers that they're about to throw to the sidelines to to make that work. I wouldn't mind Ferran, um, honestly. 
Um, but I wouldn't hate Ferron. I I wouldn't mind Rafinha. I I'd love Rafinha. I don't think that's realistic. Past details. Um, talk about some past United sides really briefly because we had some good questions about it. I don't think we'll do all of these, but they're all kind of similar. Um, I'm gonna go to. Vandal Bears asked, are there any United players from the pre-analytics era who you think are underrated, whose impact or output wasn't fully appreciated then, but would be now? And similarly-ish, um, Joe Pierce asked, if you could pick three former United players to come into our current squad in their prime to play next season, who would you pick and why? And even similarly as well, uh, Conrad, who is my cousin <laughs> and somehow puts up with me and listens to the podcast every week, asked... Which United player, past or present, would you most want to go see play live? Kind of all similar. Past United players you love, would love to see, think are really good, think the data didn't recognize. One example that I think Vandal cited was Michael Carrick. Um, I agree. Carrick is amazing. He's a he's like an, a wonderful deep-lying playmaker and relatively modern, so I think he'd still be really good today as he was in the mid-2010s. Um, any years before that? Any others you have in mind? Nani. Nani, definitely. Like, Nani, Nani was one of the best players in the Premier League for, like, two years. And nobody talks about him that way. Um, and That's I, a good one. He'd also be one of the three players. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to players that I actually watched for the picking three players that could come into the United's side right now. Um, because I don't want to, you know, just go pick, like... Sir Bobby Charlton, as if I actually was watching Sir Bobby Charlton. <laughs> um, Nani would be one of them. I think like that kind of creativity and dribbling ability and broad, insane technicality uh, is like a, would be huge. Just like and also the raw output, the number of assists he racked up during his prime was insane. Like he was creating big chances for fun. Um, I think he'd be perfect. Uh, maybe he's out of possession. Uh, performance might drive me insane but i I would want to try it at the very least um can i take rooney i mean like if i can have prime rooney like this side is insane (laughs) um yeah either prime rooney or prime robin van persie i think would have to be my picks yeah yeah i mean if i can have both that'd be sick um (laughs) (laughs) okay so rooney Rooney, van persie and michael carrick um, and or Nani. Yeah, if I can have... Yeah, if I can have RVP, Rooney, and Nani. It's hilarious. I'm just taking, like, the front three from, like, the 2000... What, 12? Was Nani... No, Nani didn't play that that many matches. He, he wasn't at his best by then. His best seasons were yeah. a couple years before yeah. that. Um, it was... Yeah, Rooney and Van Persie were the two that yeah. year. Um, um, primarily Van Persie. And then Michael Carrick was... Also a big player yeah. in that side. And then your last question, I think I would take those go three. back and see a player from the past. Okay, actually, though, we, we just like totally chose not to address the, the midfield issues in our picks there. Um, I picked Michael Carrick. Oh, you picked Carrick. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, maybe I'd pick Carrick over like one of the forwards. I'm not going to choose to clarify because I love all of them. As for player, I'd love to go back and watch his Cantona. Like for me, that's easy. I, like... He was before I I was he left United before I was born. Actually, fun fact. Um, so I I've, he's just mythology to me. I, I'd love to see him play. Um, 
Yeah, that's because I, I think I'd pick David Beckham for kind of similar reasons. I mean, I've obviously seen David Beckham play, um, but not in his absolute prime. And I and I also think a lot of the like David Beckham the celebrity um, overshadows the fact that he was really really good. Um, and at, at least from what I've yeah. seen, and no, I'd absolutely love to see him play in the flesh. Absolutely. Um, all right, one more of these, Mark Thompson. Which player who is considered to have failed or flopped at United in recent years do you think would most thrive in the current setup? I thought this one was really good. Falcao. <laughs> okay. That's my answer, okay. is Falcao. Okay. I don't even think Falcao was that bad when he was here. I think if he had more minutes. Yeah, I think he was all right, yeah. Like, he actually, I think he, he, like, if you look at his XG totals, he actually had pretty he got on the end of big chances at a pretty high rate. It was just a bizarre squad. So I don't know why we got Falcao given we already had like three center forwards. It was just a really weird fit. Um, but I think if I could have 2014, 15 Falcao and drop him in this team, he'd bag. I'm pretty sure. Um, there's, there's other options though. Pogba. <laughs> like, yeah. Like um, Pogba would be nuts. Yeah. Uh, but I won't say Pogba because I want this podcast to not have an explicit tag on me being annoyed. <laughs> um, so I'll say Angel Di Maria. I think okay, he was really yeah, good. Yeah, Di Maria. Um, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, and I think those are Pogba and Di Maria are the two Mark cited as examples. Um, I guess quieter ones because those are all like superstars. Um, are Daily Blind? Blind. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that those are the, those are the answers. I think mine. Those are the main ones. A lot of I the think my fun one, like if you want an interesting answer, my interesting answer is Falcao. Okay. Yeah. We'll end this off with a little bit of fun. No details. Um, this is a segment where we allow you to ask any questions you want, but they cannot be about football. And our first one, well, technically our second one, we had we had we ran this two weeks ago, but um, but we didn't end up publishing it. Um, but this one comes from friend of the pod Brent. Um, who would win in a fight? 100 case-sized errands versus 100 errand-sized cases. I have no idea how to answer this question. How <laughs> tall are you, Aaron, and how much do you weigh? <laughs> um, my answer is, here's what you should do. All of you, follow at LogoffBrent on Twitter. <laughs> DM him who you think would win. Yes. Inundate yes, his please. DMs with garbage answers. Yes, and please. does he have his DMs Brent, open? If you're listening, wait, let's, let's see. <laughs> um, we gotta have Brent on the pod someday. He's he's a great guy. He is, um, constantly joking, but he is also very very smart. Um, so I think he'd be a really good guest one day. Uh, Brent, if you're listening to this and you want to come on the podcast and explain whether 100 case sized errands would beat his DMs are open, Aaron's yes, cases. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay. um this has kind of defeated the purpose of no details which was to tell you um, something about ourselves be but... a little bit more personal um but i think this is a funny enough start um i guess i guess here one more thing for no details case what did you study um case is currently looking for jobs i personally love working with <laughs> Employ case. me. i think you should hire him case tell everyone about your real life yeah, sure. Uh, I just graduated with a data science degree from Northeastern. Uh, yeah, that is that. Um, 
I'm currently still living in Boston, but that's a that's it's a short term circumstance. What about you, Aaron? You should you should give yourself a little bit of background. Sure. Um, I am a still an undergrad student. Um, I'm studying in Waterloo, Ontario, um, at the University of Waterloo and Wilfrid Laurier, two universities in the same city. Waterloo is one of the biggest schools in Canada um, with over 35,000 students. Um, I study statistics there and then I study business at Laurier. Um, I Waterloo also has like a co-op-ish program. So I get to move around cities and work a lot of jobs. Um, for anyone who's listening from Waterloo, you know what I mean. Um, so recently, that's why I was in New York for a couple of months working. Um, last year, I was working in tech. This year, I've been working in consulting. Um, yeah, it's an interesting and busy side gig to have to, you know, talking nonsense on Twitter. But yeah, um, that's also why when I say I'm busy all the time, um, it's because I'm always doing a million different things. But um, one of my favorite things to do is to talk about football online and chat nonsense and be able to have a podcast where, you know, people listen to what I have to say. Like that's a huge privilege that I do not take for granted. Um, so yeah. All right, man, that was more profound than I was expecting. We'll call that an episode. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the new audio quality. Hope you enjoyed the new format and hope you enjoyed some of the new segments. Um, they're here to stay. If you like them, let us know if you like them. And until then, uh, or until next week, um, have a good one. And hopefully United can secure top four because it is a little bit closer than I thought it would get yeah, by the stage too. of the season. All right. All right. All right. Everybody. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.